I'm going to get quite personal in this episode. Eight years ago this month, we lost our daughter Esther at birth. In the two years around that time, I also had four miscarriages. It was a very difficult time. And though grief never really goes away, it does change over time. And I thought it might be worth talking a little bit about the grief process that I've gone through since then and what I've learned. I want to talk today about a couple of the takeaways that I learned from those losses and how they influence my life and my art today. Welcome to the Josie Lewis Show. Normally, this show is artist-to-artist chat about making art, the process of creativity and productivity, and selling your art, because I think artists should get paid. But I also cover other stuff that I'm thinking about, and today, that subject is grief and loss. If you live a long life, you will certainly encounter loss. Grief is just something that happens in the human experience. A few of the things I want to cover today are how my grief informed my interest in flow and my art, also my tendency to use blame as an avoidance technique, and how my concept of hope was completely transformed throughout my loss experience. When I was going through the grieving process, I stumbled upon flow. Flow is something that happens when you are deeply concentrating on a task and you lose track of time. I'd been engaging in flow for many years because I'd been an artist for a long time, and flow is in fact a common human experience that most people have, but I hadn't ever needed it like I did when I was going through the grief of all those losses. The way I found flow that was most effective was by painting with watercolors. I would do this steady meditative work. I would paint hexagons, I would paint rainbows, I would paint circles, I would paint squares, and I would slip into flow and get decided relief from physical pain, hormones, sorrow, and grief. I don't need flow now the way I needed it then, but it's still pretty great. And it helped me understand something about the artistic process that I still find very useful. I listened to the Huberman podcast, which is basically a science show, and on one of the episodes he said, if you're anxious, you can't change anxiety with your mind. You need to change it with your body. He was referring to the fact that our limited conscious thinking minds can't heal ourselves just by thinking of it. We need our body systems to do that. We need to go for a walk or something like that to be able to process some of the chemicals that are happening in our brain. He wasn't talking specifically about flow, but I think it's an accurate description of how flow through art was the thing that gave me a mental break that helped me to heal. Years ago, a friend, a very young woman, was killed in a car accident. And I heard that her dad, when he'd been told the news, just kept saying over and over, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I've also had some dark nights where all I could think was, I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't doubt that everyone who has been in acute grief has those moments when waves of sorrow are so painful and difficult that the heart says, I can't do this. The change and the loss is too vast that the mind can't possibly keep up. But the fact is, I did do it. I did walk through it. I did get through it. I got through those long nights and those days, and I slowly came to a new kind of normality. 
And if you've said in the night, I can't do this, I promise me, I promise you, you can, you can, and you will. I read a book about a tribe in South Africa that was a small village. Whenever someone in the village would pass away, everyone else in the village would rearrange something significant on the exterior of their house. They did it because they wanted to show solidarity with the bereaved family and acknowledge that the change that they were going through was so significant that they were present in that grieving process, even though it wasn't happening to them. That's one of the definitions of grief that really helped me. Grief is simply coming to terms with change. It's the process of coming to terms with change. And there's capital G grief when it's the loss of a loved one or a very difficult tragedy. And there's also small g grief, which is when there's a change that might even be a good thing, like a change of a job or getting married, heading off to college or other kinds of life transitions. And even though they're good, they do require some transitioning and that transitioning sometimes feels like grief because you have to process the thing that's changing and enter into the new reality. So during that time of intense grief, the process was me letting go of the dream of having another child and enter into a new reality. Grief is one of those things that you can choose to go through. You can accept it and you can feel those difficult, painful feelings and go through the process of grief. It will slowly heal you over time, but it's painful. It's painful to choose to allow to let those feelings come in like waves. People often choose not to feel grief. And there's all sorts of ways that we can bypass grief. We can absorb ourselves in work. We can use substances. We can exercise too much. We can eat too many potato chips. We can engage in frenetic activity or too much social interaction or even watching TV. But electing to go through the process is the only way that we can heal. Blame is one of the ways that people frequently discharge grief. When I had those multiple losses, I wanted to find someone to blame, even if it was myself. Brene Brene Brown said that blame is a way to discharge negative emotions like grief, anger, and pain. It's a way to fight. We see blame play out all the time. Any casual glance at the news will show us that blame is always the next thing that happens in every tragedy. We blame the people that are so obviously wrong. We blame our neighbors. We blame our spouse. And like I did, we blame ourselves. Blame is actually a way of holding onto control in situations that are decidedly out of control. And it's also sidestepping the painful process of grief. I'm not talking here about not addressing problems or ignoring injustice. If the waitress brings you the wrong dinner and you also happen to be deathly allergic to it, you absolutely need to correct the situation by alerting the server and getting a proper meal. But screaming at the waitress out of fear and anger is not an effective or constructive response and will not get you closer to the aim of getting dinner. Blame played out for me in many ways. I wanted to find a way that I could blame myself or my husband or my circumstances. I went through extreme gymnastics 
in my head to blame myself for not eating enough organic or not being healthy in some other way. I had a friend who told me this isn't your fault. And I agreed rationally that it wasn't, but I actually wanted it to be my fault because if I knew what had caused my losses, I could control it. A few months after our losses, I went to a holiday party and I saw an old friend that I had dated casually in college. We had had an amicable split and stayed friends, attended each other's weddings. Everything was cool. But I saw him and was overwhelmed with total fury towards him. And I, I was thought, well, what, where is this coming from? And it took me a while to process, but I realized later that my anger at him was because somehow I was thinking that if our relationship had progressed back then and we had become serious when I was 23, I would have had those kids earlier and not been older and I wouldn't have experienced those kinds of losses because I was blaming my age on my losses and therefore since I'd waited so long to have kids, anyone who didn't have kids with me when I was younger was at fault (laughs) and I wanted to blame them. (laughs) The irrationality of it staggers me. But grief isn't rational. That's something I've learned. The last thing I want to talk about is hope. There's a science term you may have heard of called sublimation. It's when a solid turns into a vapor. There's another term that means something similar, and that's alchemy. That's when something changes into gold. I've always been an optimistic person. I'm, I'm generally pretty buoyant and happy. And after I went through those first couple of years of very acute grief, I pretty much returned to my optimism, but my hope changed. I used to hope sort of for luck, which is like, well, I hope it doesn't rain, or I hope I keep my job, or I hope so-and-so comes to the party. It's kind of like happenstance. But when I went through those hard times, what I realized is I'm still a hopeful person, but my hope changed. I certainly don't want further tragedy to befall me, but I know it could. I don't invite those things to occur. And I very much hope I will never have to experience the pain of losing a child or a very close loved one like I already have. But what happened, the transformation that happened with my hope is that I I now know that whatever comes my way, I will have a chance to choose. I will have a chance to choose my response, whether to keep going, whether to live through another dark night, whether to allow grief to do its work, whether to continue to be generous and optimistic and to be as good as I can be to the loved ones that I'm fortunate enough to have in my life. So my hope is not about the events that might take place in my life, but my hope is that it doesn't matter what events take place in my life. I know that I can take any loss that's dealt to me and in the process of grief and friendship and therapy and walking and flow and art, I can turn it into the world. I can turn it into something that can impact the world for the better. That's sublimation. That's when the brick thrown through your window turns to incense. Sublimation has its root in the word sublime. So this podcast has been been quite a bit more personal than they usually are, and I've only talked about art a little bit. But I think it's important to talk about from time to time because so many of us are in a state of grief or in a state of resisting our grief. And it might 
be that there are some people who are listening to this now that had a horrible tragedy that occurred years or months ago, and you are now realizing as I'm talking that you never properly grieved. And the tragedy could be a lowercase g grief. It could be losing a job that you wanted or something that didn't play out the way you were hoping or a painful breakup. There's a lot of different ways that we experience loss. Loss isn't a competition. Sometimes I hear people kind of comparing the severity of grief like their grief is not as bad as somebody else's grief or it's worse than somebody else's grief. And what I often see is that, you know, I'll talk to another woman that's had a miscarriage and she'll say, well, uh, you know, I I only had one miscarriage and, you know, it's nothing like your grief. But the fact is she is entitled to her own grief. And I can't say that my suffering was worse than hers. And if she is saying, well, I can't really allow the grief to process, I can't really acknowledge the depths of the loss I've experienced because somebody else had it worse, <laughs> that's, that's kind of a way to bypass the healing process that grief has to offer us. So thanks for being with me today. If you're going through something, know that my heart is with you and I believe in you. Till next time.